Let's stand for the reading of God's Word, verse 36 through 41, and uh, we're going to uh, look at um, a division between men of God who loved the Lord and even loved each other and talk about that tonight. The Bible says in verse 36, In some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them, between Paul and Barnabas, that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed being recommended by the brethren under the grace of God. And he went through, speaking of Paul, he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. And so the title of the sermon this evening is this, When Preachers Part Ways. When Preachers Part Ways. We've, If you've been around church long enough, you've seen two preachers, two men of God who were called to church ministry, who just couldn't see eyeball to eyeball on something and ended up splitting up and parting ways and uh, that's a difficult thing to know how to handle. That's a difficult thing to see. How, how, how should we perceive that? How should we understand that? Well, I'm very glad God gave us an example of two men of God who loved the Lord and loved the work of the Lord who could not see eye to eye on something and parted ways. Now, the title is When Preachers Part Ways, but the truth is sometimes church members don't see eyeball to eyeball on things. Sometimes you are with someone involved in the nursery or in church ministry, and the two of you just can't seem to get on the same page with each other. You can't seem to get along with one another. Why do those kind of things happen? When you have people that love the Lord, how come they can't seem to always work together? Well, we're going to try to tackle that topic tonight as we look at the last five or six verses of Acts 15 here. Let's have a word of prayer together. Lord, Tonight, the sermon, while it may not bring us to some great decision in our life, Lord, it may be a sermon that's needed to help us understand, uh, Lord, a great, greater truths. And sometimes these greater truths are just stowed away and kept for a later date in our Christian life. But, Lord, as we go verse by verse through the book of Acts, this passage was put here for a reason. And, Lord, help us to understand it. And, Lord, help us to grow because of it. Thank you for each one who made the effort to come out tonight. Bless them for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Over my many years of being around church ministry, which has been my entire life, I have watched as many times good men have parted ways. Sometimes men part ways over sin. Oftentimes they have parted ways over a sharp disagreement uh, that had little, if anything, to do with sin at all. It can hurt to see two people you love not able to get along with each other. It can hurt to see two men who you think should work well together who can't seem to get along whatsoever. When I was a teenage boy, I lived in Alabama, northern Alabama, in the Tennessee Valley, just south of the city of Huntsville, in a little town called Hartzell. I attended the Bethel Baptist Church of Hartzell, Alabama, and I had a youth pastor who I just adored. His name was Aaron Tuttle, and 
uh, Pastor Aaron, uh, Brother Aaron, we called him. He took us to all kinds of events, uh, college basketball games and semi-pro hockey games and arcades. And uh, it, it wasn't all, you know, fun and games. He took us out soul winning and uh, he invested a lot of time and effort and energy into us. I believe he was my youth pastor for close to two years and we had a problem with the pastor in the church and he had committed some sin and um, uh, it was on the fence of whether or not he should be, have been thrown out of the church and um, they ended up voting the pastor out of the church in a really heated uh, business meeting but he was voted out and sent down the road but while all of that was going on there was a point where it appeared the pastor was going to stay. And the youth pastor had dug in his heels, believing that the pastor, because of the sin, needed to go. And it made his opinion quite clear to the church. And when it appeared that the pastor was going to stay, I remember on a Sunday morning, he closed the door to the youth room. We were down in the basement of the church. He closed the door to the youth group, and he preached a sermon about why he felt the situation in the church, which was public, the teenagers knew it, the children knew it, everybody knew it, why he felt that it was being handled wrong and how there was sin in the church. And then he read a letter of resignation to us, the youth group, uh, about his position and he walked out the door, up the stairs, out the door, got into the car with his wife and we never ever saw him again. And that hurt. That hurt. To see a man who I believe was and still is a good man walk away from our church ministry, crushed me, hurt me. This man had great influence on my life. Uh, I, as I mentioned, I grew up in church ministry. My, my father was in church ministry uh, shortly after I was uh, born. He took a position in Louisiana as a Christian school administrator slash assistant pastor, and he held that title in several different churches from, I guess I was probably uh, one years old when he was hired, and he held a position of that sort in some church all the way until I left to go to Bible college and then even out of Bible college. And my family moved around occasionally because what would happen is my dad would find a church, he'd work there, uh, he'd develop great chemistry with the pastor, and then lo and behold, after some time, the pastor would resign and leave, and a new pastor would come in, and that pastor would have a completely different ministry style. The chemistry wouldn't be there with my dad, and lo and behold, for uh, uh, one reason or another, because two good men who loved the Lord and wanted to get the gospel out to the community because they could not get on the same page, we would pack our bags and move, oftentimes to a whole other state, and be involved in another church ministry. I, um, right out of Bible college, I was hired uh, by my high school alma mater to teach in that Christian school, and I had spoken with the pastor of that church prior to leaving for Bible college, and he had been favorable the idea of me graduating from uh, church minister, graduating with the church ministry degree and coming back and working on the church staff. It was a large church, ran over a thousand on Sunday mornings, and so I graduated with a, a diploma and had every thought and idea and belief I would go back and be an assistant pastor at that church, but. Um, conveniently, he hired someone just several months before I graduated, and there was no assistant pastor position available. So I was hired instead to teach in the Christian school. And oftentimes you could work your way out of the Christian school and onto the church staff, but the pastor made it clear to me that because he and I had some differences in opinion on church music and other ministry style type things, that he was not going 
to hire me. So my wife and I would leave that church ministry altogether and uh, end up working in another ministry after a series of tumultuous type events in our life. And I look back on that, and at the time I was crushed that that pastor who was my home pastor, that pastor who had signed my high school diploma, that pastor who had married my wife and I, did not want me on his church staff. But I look back on it now and I can see it was all within the will of God. Uh, since he and I have parted ways and we're no longer sharing the same ministry space, he and I get along a whole lot better. Uh, when two men of God are not getting along, the best thing that you can do is pray and stay out of it. Pray and stay out of it. Understand that when you put alpha males together, sometimes their differences very well may drive them apart. It may be tempting to get in and find out all the juicy details. We all like gossip, don't we? Don't be a hypocrite. We all like gossip, don't we? Um, you may say no, but deep down inside, your sinful nature likes gossip. Everybody likes everybody likes the, the, the latest gossip. Have you heard that bad news travels around the world twice before good news travels around the block once? Right? When word got around that I had COVID a couple of weeks ago, I was getting called from Florida and Texas and California and Fiji and... I, I know people in all those places. I couldn't believe how fast word got around that Pastor Lejeune was sick. But when Pastor Lejeune was all better, uh, all of a sudden, oh, I didn't know he was feeling better. Bad news travels around the world twice before good news makes it around the block once. We all enjoy a juicy scoop. But the truth is, the best thing you can do when men of God aren't getting along is just pray. Just pray. The truth is, sometimes Christians... I'm talking about non-pastors. Sometimes Christians can't get along. Let's be honest this evening. How many have been in church long enough to admit that there has been someone at some point in your church attending history where no matter how hard you tried, you just could not seem to get along with that person? How many of you can think of someone like that? Okay. If you're not raising your hand, either you've got a great personality all right. I mean, you just you just get along with everyone, or you haven't been in church very long. Okay. We all have people, and maybe it's not even a church. Maybe it's in the workplace. No matter how hard you try, that person. I mean, you may you may just say, "Look, I'm locking my eyes on that person right there, and I am going to get along with them." I've done that. And man, no matter what button you push, lever you pull, no matter what you say, no matter how you handle that person, just made up their mind. They're not going to like you. They are not going to get along with you. Maybe something happened in the history of that relationship. And listen, uh, what can happen in a church is we can see two people not getting along, and we can pick sides. Oh, I think brother such and such is right, and uh, this guy over here is wrong. And, uh, or I think sister such and such, boy, I, I, take, I take her side. Who said you had to pick sides? Right? Maybe the best thing you can do is get on your knees and just say, Lord, have your will in that situation. And when other people come to you, the Bible says, love covereth a multitude of sins. You be the stop sign and just say, we're not going to talk about this. Uh, this is none of our business. None of our business. When I was dating Angela, uh, one of the things she said to me after we got engaged is she said, one of the things 
that impressed me about you is we were waiting for an appointment uh, with someone on the college staff. We were waiting for an appointment. We were standing around the corner from their office, and their office door was open. And there was a conversation being had in that office, that uh, appointment before us ran long, that was of private nature. And she said, you and I, you led me to leave so that we wouldn't even hear the details of what was going on. That showed me a level of character there. Now, I don't always get all these things right. And I don't always uh, get uh, these things perfect every time. But that time, I happened to get it right, and it maybe even attributed uh, to my marriage. And so we need to make sure that we're not putting our nose in other people's business. Understand in a growing church there's going to be friction. Understand in a growing church where there's a lot of moving parts. Hey, I guarantee you on friend day, there's going to be people in this building that sit where you want to sit, and it's going to bug you a little bit. Okay? They're going to bump you out of your seat. Right? They may even make you sit in the middle of the pew. Oh, the middle of the pew. No, pastor, I sit on the end. You may have an usher come to you and say, can you scoot down so these visitors can, can have a seat? And you're going to look at that usher like, what are you? Are you crazy? Are you asking me to... And that might just tip the apple cart with you a little bit. Listen, uh, there's going to be friction in a church. And when that friction comes, mature Christians take... Watch this now. Mature Christians take mountains and turn them into molehills. Immature Christians take molehills and turn them into mountains. Which one are you going to be? We need a church full of people who do not stick their nose in someone else's business where two people aren't getting along. And we need those Christians who are mature to get on their knees and take it to the Lord in prayer. Now, God can use the division of two of his servants to accomplish double the work once he sends them their separate ways. In these divisions, God can accomplish a greater will than we may selfishly Want. So let's look at four thoughts this evening. If you received a half sheet of paper on your way in, there's an outline there. I encourage you to fill that out, take notes, and tuck this one away. You may need it at a later date. Let's consider the sermon title, When Preachers Part Ways. Okay, let's jump into the passage this evening. Notice, number one, the decision. The decision. Look back with me to Acts chapter 15, and look at verse number 36. The Bible says, And some days after... Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. Now, it's been a month and a half since we've been in the book of Acts with awesome August, uh, the various preachers we have, and then my sickness. It's been a good month and a half. So just quickly a review here. Earlier in the book of uh, earlier in chapter 15 of the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas would go up to Jerusalem where they would have a council to discuss legalism or mixing uh, works into salvation. And Paul and Barnabas would stand there together and testify of all that happened on their first missionary journey where these Gentiles were just simply believing in Jesus and being saved. And then James would stand up at the end, the leader of the church of Jerusalem, and he would give his final edict, his final decision, and he would send Paul and Barnabas back to the church of Antioch uh, where their headquarters was at, along with uh, some other men to confirm that indeed you did not need to work your way to be saved. You just needed to believe in Jesus to be saved. And so when we left off in Acts 15, we left Paul and Barnabas in 
Antioch doing the work of the Lord. And lo and behold, the time came where they decided it's time for us to go back out and get back to work doing the missionary work we were called to. Letter A, notice, their shared memories. Their shared memories. It was um, Now, uh, Paul and Barnabas had a long history together. They had a whole lot of experiences together. So let's walk down memory lane with Paul and Barnabas and let's see some of their shared uh, uh, memories in their relationship. Take your Bibles back to Acts chapter number 9 and verse number 26. You may remember that it was Barnabas who first accepted Saul in the Jerusalem church. So the timeline here is that uh, the early church gets started. Peter's preaching. People are getting saved. People are getting baptized. People are getting added to the church. The Jerusalem church is mushrooming in size. Many uh, biblical theologian historians believe the Jerusalem church may have well been in attendance of over 100,000 people. Um, Saul of Tarsus is a, is a zealot uh, for the Lord. In his mind, a zealot for the Lord. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees and he's going to persecute the Jerusalem church church because he thinks these Christians are a bunch of radicals and so he's arresting the church of Jerusalem and throwing them in jail, having many of them killed and then on his way out to Damascus a light hits him. You know the story. A light hits him and knocks him off his horse and there he gets saved and he converts uh, uh, believes in the Lord for salvation he goes into Damascus and instead of arresting the Christians he starts standing up and preaching Christ to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are perplexed. And the Christians are perplexed. What is going on here? And then the Pharisees decide, we need to kill this guy because as much damage as he did to uh, the, the church, now he's going to do to our side. And so they take him and they put him in a basket and they lower him down over the wall and the Apostle uh, Paul, who would later become the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, escapes. He heads to the back side of the desert for three years where he is trained by the Lord for church ministry. And then after three years, he shows up in Jerusalem and lo and behold, no one in Jerusalem wants to have anything to do with him. Can you imagine why no one in Jerusalem wanted anything to do with him? Can you see Saul come walking into church and all of these widows in the church and all of these children in the church without a dad anymore look at the man who put dad and husband in in jail and ended up leading to his death? You see another man who's hobbling around and crippled because of the beatings that Saul brought on them. Maybe Mrs. Stephen is sitting there and Mrs. Stephen looks at the man who stood over the stoning of her husband. Nobody wanted anything to do with Saul. And I think all of us can understand why. But then there's Barnabas. When no one else wanted anything to do with Saul, Barnabas came to Saul's side and said, I'm going to believe in him. I'm going to give him a chance. Look at Acts chapter 9, look at verse 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas says, hey, look, I, I, I think we should give this guy a chance. No one else wants to have anything to do with Saul. They're afraid of him. But Barnabas comes and puts his arm around him and says, Hey guys, 
I believe he's truly converted. Let's give him a shot. And so uh, Peter would spend some time with Saul, and then Saul would leave and go back to his hometown of Tarsus for a while. Then we find Acts chapter 11. Turn over to Acts chapter 11, verse 25. Barnabas is sent by the church of Jerusalem up to Antioch to oversee the church of Antioch and help them get up and going. And Barnabas looks around and says, I need some help. I need some help running this church, and uh, there's more here uh, than I can handle, and I need a helper. And so Barnabas travels to Tarsus and recruits Saul to help him with the church of Antioch. Look at verse 25. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. They're a team. And the disciples were called Christians first in, in Antioch. So where's Saul at? Saul's back in Tarsus, sitting on the sidelines, not serving the Lord because the church of Jerusalem just can't embrace him and accept him. Barnabas is sent up to Antioch to help with that church. He looks and says, I need a helper. He travels to Tarsus. He convinces Saul to come back with him. And the two of them get in the, uh, get in the yoke and they work the work of the Lord. And the church of Antioch is established and people are getting saved. It is Barnabas who went and got Saul and recruited him. We see their shared memories. And then it was Saul and Barnabas who were sent out by the church of Antioch to be the church's first missionaries. Not just the Antioch church, the Christian church's first missionaries were Saul and Barnabas. Turn over to Acts 13. Acts 13 and look at verse number 2. The Bible says there, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, speaking of the deacons and elders of the church, they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So now Saul and Barnabas are a team heading out to the mission field. The very first mission team heading out uh, into the wild, wild west of the pagan world, preaching Jesus, trailblazing the gospel to the Gentile world. Boy, what a set of memories Saul and Barnabas had together. Turn to Acts 15 and look at verse 12. It was Saul and Barnabas who stood up against the legalists and defended uh, salvation uh, 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 and declared it to simply be a gift received by grace and not of works. Look at Acts 15 and look at verse 12. You see them here together. It says, Then all the multitude kept silence and gave uh, audience to Barnabas and Paul, Saul, Paul, the same person, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. So Barnabas and Paul are standing up in front of uh, this massive meeting of the church. You have the, the Pharisaical crowd who's recently saved, and you have the Grace crowd who's recently saved, and they're all to gather together, and they're having this big edict, this big decision on how salvation really works. And Paul and Barnabas stand up and they share all their stories of Gentiles being saved from their first missionary journey. Boy, these are memories these two guys had that should have bonded them together and made them inseparable. We see letter A, their shared memories. Notice letter B, their somber mission. Their somber mission. Now, they've 
gone out into the mission field, right? We studied about all that in Acts 13, 14, and 15, or 13 and 14. And they've gone out in the mission field. They've put their life at risk. Uh, Paul was taken out on the edge of town in Lystra and stoned. Uh, many uh, people believe he died. I believe he died there. God sent him back, and he rose uh, rose back up, and uh, they, they're back out preaching the gospel. And uh, they uh, they suffered all kinds of hardships and heartaches, and they make it back from their first missionary journey of seeing many people saved and some baby churches established. They make it back to Antioch. I'll call Antioch their base, their safe zone, and there they're beloved. There, they're well-known. There, they're both well-respected. The two of them had established the church of Antioch and uh, made the church of Antioch what it was in a lot of ways, humanly speaking. And then they've gone to Jerusalem. They've argued for the tenets of the faith. They've come back uh, having won that and established that. Watch this now. The safe move for Paul and Barnabas was to stay in Antioch where they were, uh, where, where they were heroes in a lot of ways, where they were beloved in a lot of ways and just minister to the people there in Antioch. Boy, there were plenty of lost folks to be preached to. There were plenty of people that, to be reached. Antioch was a port town, or right off from a port town. There were plenty of uh, uh, lost people to be reached there. Easily an argument could have been made that they should have stayed put. But one day, Paul looks at Barnabas, and Barnabas looks at Paul, and the two of them together, what do they say? They say, we need to go back out and confirm the churches that were started, and we need to start new churches. Now, I'll just add this here. When God puts a calling in a Christian's heart to do the work of the Lord, that Christian will be miserable if they're not doing the work of the Lord. When God called me to be a pastor, and I was put in a Christian school to teach, the two years I taught in a Christian school, I was miserable because I was out of my place. That was not what God had called me to do. Then I was hired to be an assistant pastor where I worked doing church ministry work. I was a Spanish pastor for four years and uh, got to work with children in children's ministry. And uh, I got to teach an adult Sunday school class there just south of uh, Baltimore. And I was doing what I had been called to do. And boy, I, I was I was in love with my work. And then lo and behold, after four years of doing that, we were set on the sideline and I got a job up here in Connecticut rolling tires off the end of a truck and I went back to being absolutely miserable that I was not doing what God had called me to do. And then God allowed me to get back into pastoral work. And uh, listen, I, I took a job being paid almost nothing in order to get back into church work. For When you're called to be in church ministry, or you're called to be on a bus route, or you're called to serve in a particular ministry, God's given you a set of gifts to serve Him. You cannot help but do that. Uh, push everything out of the way. Push every excuse out of the way. You have to do that. And for Paul and Barnabas, even though it meant putting their life in danger. They were called to be missionaries. Nothing was going to stop them from doing that. Uh, no matter how comfortable they were in Antioch, they were miserable in Antioch because God had called them to be missionaries and they were going to get out there and be a missionary. And I just want to ask you this, uh, Christian, uh, quickly before we move on. What is it that God has called you to do for, for heaven's sake? If God has called you to be um, uh, involved, uh, He's given you some sort of gift, He's put some kind of calling on your life, the truth is you'll be miserable if you're not doing it. 
It, it, it will be uncomfortable to just sit on the pew and listen to preaching and not be involved. And I would just say, find what God's called you to do in life and get busy doing it. So we see the decision. What was the decision? To go back out into the mission field, no matter how dangerous it was, uh, establish the churches and start new churches and trailblaze further with the gospel. Number two, we see the disagreement. The disagreement. Look at Acts 15 and look at verse number 37 and 38 with me. The Bible says, And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. So this is John Mark. But Paul thought not good to take them with him, take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. So now we have a disagreement. John Mark wants to go on this second missionary journey, and Barnabas says, Let's do it. Paul's like, Ah, not so fast. All right, now we know also that John Mark is the cousin of Barnabas, but I'll just say this right here. I don't really think that detail matters much. Barnabas was not giving John Mark special treatment because he was related to him. This is just who Barnabas was. We'll see that here in a moment. Letter A, quickly, notice the loyalty of Barnabas. The loyalty of Barnabas. Loyalty is a great word to describe Barnabas. He believed in people when no one else would. Um, In Acts chapter number 4, we find... Uh, that uh, his original name was Joseph, and that the church changed his name to Barnabas. Barnabas means son of consolation or son of encouragement. Uh, Listen, when everyone else had given up on someone, Barnabas would swoop in, put his arm around that person, and pump air into into their wings. He would believe in that person and give them a second chance. Can I just say this right here? I am thankful for people who have an attitude like Barnabas. I am thankful for someone who's willing to look at what other people would label the trash heap and say, I still believe in you, and I still think God can use you. You may be here tonight, and you may have done all sorts of things, and you feel like you're just a shattered, broken vase, and God could never use you anymore, and your, your life is just in pieces. And, and I'm here to tell you that, no, God masters in picking up the broken pieces and putting them back together again and using that person to, to still accomplish the work of God. And, and Barnabas was that type of guy that no matter who you were or what was in your past, boy, he didn't care. He was going to come along and he was going to believe in you. Um, Barnabas was loyal on a very deep level. Now, you remember Saul before he got saved. I, I talked about this a little bit uh, a moment ago. Um, uh, Saul persecuted the church of Jerusalem. Then he got saved. And after several years away, he came back to be a part of the church, the only one that wanted anything to do with Saul was Barnabas. And so Barnabas was loyal to the man who had overseen the stoning of the deacon Stephen. Just imagine with me tonight that Brother Owens is out giving the gospel, or Brother Okai or Brother Syret are out giving the gospel, and they get arrested for it, and the next thing you know, they're killed for giving the gospel. And it's public who it is that killed them. And then they begin to persecute the rest of our church pretty hard. 
And then three or four years later, after we've kind of recouped and recovered, we're still licking our wounds and we're still trying to help people who've been hurt through this harsh persecution to our church. Lo and behold, that person who uh, killed one of our deacons comes walking in the back door wants to be part of this. I think most folks here would be uncomfortable with that. And I think it would be understandable why. Barnabas was the guy that put his arm around that person and said, I believe your conversion is real. I believe in you. John, or rather, Barnabas was loyal. Now let's look at John Mark. John Mark, um, on the first missionary journey uh, that they took, John Mark quit very early on in the process, and he went home to mother. You say, how do you know he went home to mother? Well, his mom was the one who hosted the prayer meeting when Peter got arrested. And his mom lived in Jerusalem. And the Bible very clearly tells us that when John Mark quit, he took a ship back to Jerusalem. He went home to mommy. Things got tough, the going got tough, and he quit. And uh, he walked away. And now they're getting ready to launch on their second missionary journey, and John Mark decides he wants to go again. Barnabas is like, sure, of course you can go. Uh, you know, I, I believe in you, John Mark. Uh, we'll make it work this time. And Paul felt a different way altogether. Letter B, look at the logic of Paul. The logic of Paul. Paul saw things quite different. Paul and Barnabas had set out on their first journey. They took a team of people with them to help them. Luke, who authored the book of Acts as well as the Gospel of Luke, Luke came along to be the doctor for the team. And I have to tell you, Luke had his hands full because Paul was always getting himself beat up. <laughs> he'd go around preaching the gospel and he'd get beat up for it. And he'd come back and Luke would, you know, stitch him back up and put him back together. And then Paul would be back out there. And Luke was by Paul's side all the way uh, to the very end. Even in the book of Second Timothy, we'll see Luke is by Paul's side. And Luke had bought into the team. And Luke was all about um, uh, helping Paul and his team get the gospel out. So Luke uh, was part of this team, uh, this first team to go out. He came along to be the doctor. John Mark very likely was there to help tend to the shopping, the cooking, and the other affairs that would have distracted and detracted and taken away from the main object of preaching the gospel. So notice Paul's setup here. Very smart. Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul, however they started out, uh, they're going out with the intent of preaching the gospel, and they, take, they are taking a team of people with them. Luke is there to be the physician to keep everyone healthy. Someone like a John Mark, his job was to secure the hotel for the night and make sure that um, uh, the food had been bought and that dinner had been prepared and uh, that they had uh, uh, the clothing they needed and whatever uh, whatever uh, needed, whatever interference needed to be run, John Mark was there to run that interference so that Paul and Barnabas didn't have to do those things. They could just go out and preach the gospel. And so John Mark came along with that in mind. And then very early on in the journey, John Mark just says, this is too tough. And he, and he packs his bags and he buys a ticket and he leaves. Well, now this has made Paul and Barnabas' job a whole lot harder. Um... Paul viewed Mark as a quitter. How many of you are with me on this? I don't do well with quitters. How many of you are with me on that? 
How many of you with me? Let me hold your hand up. All right. You don't do well with quitters. When you sign up to do something, you need to stick it out even to your own hurt. You need to see it to the end. And when the going got tough, John Mark just walked away. Now, why did John Mark do that? I think there's a number of reasons why. When they started out on their journey, up to this up on the first missionary journey, Barnabas had been the lead, and Paul, or Saul of Tarsus, Paul was the wingman. And then after they left the island of Cyprus, there had been a shift where Paul now was taking charge, and Barnabas was the second man to Paul. And now they're heading into a rough terrain uh, that is dangerous. And, and John Mark just said, you know what, this is not what I signed up for. I didn't agree to have Paul, the, 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 the tyrannical, radical Paul, be my leader. He's, he's crazy. He's going to take us into places I just didn't think we were going. I'm out. All right? But now, the second time around, John Mark wants back in, and Paul thinks to himself, not so fast. If he let us down once, he'll let us down again. How many can understand where Paul's coming from? How many can understand where Barnabas is coming from? All right, how many of you are saying where both of them are coming from? All right, can we see where the division is happening here? Um, uh, we see here uh, the, their disagreement. Number three, uh, notice the division. The division. It's one thing to disagree. It's a whole other thing when you divide. All right? It's a whole other thing when you disagree so sharply that you can't stay together. And that's what happened here. These two men so sharply disagreed that they had to part ways. Look at verse 39. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. The disagreement between Paul and Barnabas was so sharp that they parted ways. Paul went off with Silas, we'll see in a few minutes, and um, Barnabas would take John Mark and establish his own team. How can two men... So here's the question that I've been left asking myself, not only about Paul and Barnabas, but about many other good men I've seen together in church ministry who just could not get along, all right? And, and this could be said about church members who can't get along. Listen to this question. How can two men or two women who are filled with the Spirit, who love God and want to accomplish the same goal, part ways over contention? How, how does that happen? You have two men who love God, filled with the Spirit. I believe Paul was filled with the Spirit of God. I believe Barnabas was filled with the Spirit of God. I believe they both loved God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. I believe they loved each other. But the contention was so sharp that they had to part ways. Why does that happen? I love the fact that God included this division in the Bible. Since Paul and Barnabas, many, many, many good men who love God and have a desire to reach the lost have parted ways over a sharp contention. Let me give you three thoughts as to why Paul and Barnabas divided. And I believe these three thoughts are why many other good Christian men divide. Letter A, letter A quickly. Difference in personalities. Difference in personalities. You read through uh, the Pauline epistles, you read through the book of Acts, and what you learn about Paul is that he was a task-oriented guy. All right? The task is paramount. The task must be done. Uh, the task is far more important than any one of us or the collection of us. The task. What was the task for Paul? 
getting the gospel to the world. And if you are going to get in the way, you're out. All right? Paul's mantra was lead, follow, or get out of my way. And if I think you're in my way, I'm going to give you the boot. Get out of here. Okay? Barnabas was not task-oriented as much as he was people-oriented. People-oriented. Um, Paul viewed the task of getting through the missionary journey and doing so at high efficiency as the top priority. And his, it's not that he didn't like people. It's not that he wasn't for people. It wasn't that he didn't believe in people. But here's how Paul assessed things, I believe. Paul would look at people who wanted to be on his team, and he would size them up and ask himself this question, is that person going to help me accomplish the goal? Because if they are, I'm, I'm buying into them wholehearted, and I expect them to buy into me wholehearted. Hey, here's Paul's attitude. I don't want to be in the spiritual trench with a guy who doesn't have my back, who doesn't have my six. You with me? If, if you're not going to be all in, you're wishy-washy, get out. Get out. Barnabas had a different attitude altogether. Barnabas' personality was, let's take people who have failed and let's reboot them. Let's put them back on their feet and let's help them get back on the road. Barnabas' thought process, I believe, I speculate, must have been, listen, if Paul, Saul of Tarsus, can become the Apostle Paul, then what can John Mark become if someone just believes in him and helps him? If I could go get Saul of Tarsus off the, off the trash heap in Tarsus and bring him to Antioch and use him to help establish the church of Antioch, boy, if I invest in John Mark, what an asset he'll be on this second missionary journey. And Paul saw the task. Barnabas saw the people. But Paul saw that people were meant to help him accomplish the task. Barnabas saw that uh, it was about people and the task was meant to help uh, uh, help the person to grow. You say, well, which one was right? Which one was right? Is it better to be task-oriented or is it better to be people-oriented? All right, let me ask you this evening. How many of you say, Pastor, my personality type, my nature, I am far more concerned about tasks than I am people? If that's you, would you hold up your hand where you are? I'm a task person. All right, my hand's up. I'm a task guy, all right? I want to get the task done. That's paramount to me. How many of you here are people-oriented? All right, that's the majority of you. How many of you are not sure where you are? You kind of fall in the middle, all right? How many of you don't understand the questions? Okay. Um, you, you fall in, some folks fall in the middle. They, oh, they're torn here, right? I mean, so if you're in the middle, it's like, I, I can see where Barnabas is coming from, but I can also see where Paul's coming from. I'm not sure who is right here. Here's the truth. We need both people-oriented and task-oriented people to make the church go. Make the church go. Uh, people-oriented folks, they're great at greeting. Uh, they're great at follow-up visiting. Uh, they're great at discipling. Task-oriented people are great at door-to-door soul-winning. By the way, we all ought to do all of these things, but there's a natural bend and lean in these uh, areas. They're great at uh, remodeling uh, a room or, uh, uh, or just coming along and uh, cleaning something and making it ready. They're focused on the task. They're focused on the task. What divided Paul and Barnabas? Well, there was a difference in personalities. Let her be noticed. Difference in pursuits. Difference in pursuits. Now, Barnabas, when they split ways, Barnabas 
he was from the island of Cyprus, just a short distance from Antioch, um, and his heart was in Cyprus. Paul was from the region of Tarsus, and his heart was to reach the region of Tarsus. Now, the Bible does not say that they argued over where to go, but when they parted ways, Barnabas would go to the island of Cyprus, where he was originally from, and Paul would head back toward the region of Tarsus. Um, Amos chapter 3, verse 3, asks this question. Some of you know the question, right? Can two walk together except they be agreed? On the first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas went to Cyprus, and they were there for a very short time, and then they made a beeline to Tarsus, the region of Tarsus. And I wonder, and again, this is speculatory, but I wonder if that didn't just kind of stick in Barnabas' crawl. We spent more time in Tarsus than we did where I'm from. Boy, we breezed through two cities in Cyprus, and we shot to where uh, you wanted to go and, and, and where you're passionate about. Now that they're parting ways, John, Mark, and Barnabas head back to Cyprus to, 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 to evangelize and disciple and love on the people there, whereas Paul takes Silas and they head back to his home area. Sometimes two people love the Lord and want to see the same thing accomplished, but their focuses are on different regions. Their styles are different. Their methodology might be different. Their ministry philosophy might be different. And two people cannot walk together except they be agreed. And so we see that the difference in pursuits caused the division. Letter C, notice, difference in patience. Difference in patience. Uh, Barnabas had an endless supply of patience. Listen, if Barnabas would believe in Saul of Tarsus, even when he had locked up half of the church and uh, presided over the stoning of, of Stephen, then Barnabas would, uh, Barnabas just had an endless supply of patience. All right? Uh, you could not drain the patience tank dry of Barnabas. It could not be done. Paul, on the other hand, boy, God had to teach Paul patience along the way. Because, I mean, he was like, get it done and get it done yesterday. All right? We, 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 we have a work to do, and we're going to get it done. And you're going to help me get it done, or uh, you go sit on the sidelines, and I'll get it done. And so there was just a difference in patience. And, I, and listen, let me just add here, uh, many of you already know this, but I, I think it, it's a great keen observation to make. People who are patient move at a slower rate. All right? I had a job um, when I was uh, teaching school in the summertime. I had a job cleaning apartments in between tenants, okay? So I worked for this cleaning company. Many of you know Pastor Morales. This would have been his father, mother and father-in-law. It was their company. I worked for them. And I cleaned apartments in between uh, tenants. And um, we had a young lady working for us who was very thorough in her cleaning, but very slow in her cleaning, very slow in her cleaning. And... She didn't last more than just a month or two because the other uh, people who were working were like, you need to hurry up and get it done. Okay? And uh, boy, but I'm going to tell you, this individual, I know this person well, lots and lots and lots and lots of patience. This person will put up with a lot. And people who are patient, they just move at a slower rate through life. I, I can see Paul, he's ready to head to the next town, 
and Barnabas is still packing his bags. Okay? And uh, Barnabas has got one more contact he's got to go follow up on on the other side of town. And Paul's, you know, tapping his foot and looking at his watch. And Will you come on, Barnabas? we got to go. we we got work to do. we got another town to reach. Difference in patience. Barnabas was patient with people. Barnabas most likely moved at a slower rate. Paul was fast-moving, fast-acting, and wanting to get it done. And these things, while they had all these shared memories together, these things would bring them about to a point of, of division. Now, I, I just want to say that when you hear of, a, of two preachers, two pastors, or two business partners, uh, whatever it is, two people parting ways and, and dividing, there's always a surface reason, and then there's always what's below the surface. Now, here's where a mature church comes in. We're not going to look below the surface and be gossipy because that doesn't please the Lord. That brings me to number four, their departure. Their departure. Look at Acts 15 and look at verse 40. In 39, we see that John, Mark, and Barnabas, they went to Cyprus. Verse 40, But Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren under the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. Now, here is where I give the church of Antioch a lot of credit. Give them a lot of credit. They stayed out of Paul and Barnabas' business. And when they could see that the division was happening and the contention was sharp, instead of choosing sides and allowing this to divide the church, Team Paul versus Team Barnabas, instead they said, may the Lord's will be done, Paul, you need another partner. Yes, let's send Silas with you so you can do the work. Uh, They handled it in a way that was meek. They handled it in a way that was mature. They handled it in a way that pleased the Lord. So that brings me to the conclusion of the message and a question. Who was right? Who was right? Was Paul right? Or was Barnabas right? How many of you think that Paul was right to not bring John Mark along? How many of you think Barnabas was right? They should have brought John Mark along. All right? A lot of you are afraid to vote. (laughs) Um, Well, time would prove that Barnabas was right. Take your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter number 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy is the last book that Paul would write. Shortly thereafter, um, uh, he would be executed there in Rome. He's at the very end of his life. He's lonely. He's by himself. He only has one of his, um, one of his teammates with him. And look at chapter 4, verse 11. 2 Timothy 4, 11. He said, only Luke is with me. He says, take Mark. This is John Mark. Take Mark, bring him with thee, Timothy, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Now, I believe the Bible was written by inspiration and God told Paul what to write. I wonder if that was a little bit difficult for Paul to pin that down. I wonder if Paul thought, Lord, do I have to write this down? I know it's true, but, but do yes, Paul, eat crow. And admit you were wrong and that John Mark has made himself profitable. 
John Mark would go on to write the Gospel of Mark, the second book of the New Testament. He would uh, become profitable uh, in the work of the Lord. Now, what did Barnabas and John Mark accomplish? The Bible doesn't tell us. Only heaven will reveal that. But one day when we get to heaven, we're going to find out about all of the churches that were planted and all of the people that were reached as a result of the mission work of Barnabas and John Mark. He made himself profitable again for ministry. What, what do we take away from this? Never give up on people. Never give up on people. You say, well, I, brother such and such, sister such and such, you know, they, uh, they, they don't even go to church anymore. You know that if they're saved, the Holy Spirit of God is still working on their heart to get them back in the game. And they don't need your condescending long finger pointing down at them. Oh, they don't even go to church anymore. You know what they need? They need you on your knees praying for them. That they get back in the game. You see two people that can't seem to get along. Hey, be mature. Pray, pray for the situation. And otherwise, keep your mouth shut. And ask God uh, to do something great. I think of the verse in Proverbs that says that he that meddleth, and and I'm paraphrasing the verse, he that meddleth in another man's business uh, is like taking a dog by the ears. Okay? I I don't recommend you grab a dog and pull him by the ears. It's a good way to get bit. You want to get bit, go bother, go bother, go, go mess with someone else's business. Otherwise, just get on your knees and pray. And uh, trust that God knows what he's doing, that God can use uh, and work through that situation. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this evening. Lord, the message tonight, uh, while pointed at uh, two men in the Bible who deeply loved you and couldn't get along, while it was specific in that way, there were many other things covered and, and, and said. And Lord, we need to be a people who are mature. We need to be a people who don't focus on uh, taking molehills and turning them into mountains. We need to be a people that take mountains and turn them into molehills. May this church be mature. May it be established by people who were like the church of Antioch, who were Christ-like in the way they handled division between two people. Lord, may we be godly in that approach. Lord, help us tonight to make decisions that please you. And Lord, for many of us, while our church staff here is solid and we all love each other and there doesn't seem to be any cracks or signs of division, Uh, Lord, the day may come where you lead a staff man away or a staff lady away. And Lord, there will be a division. But Lord, help us to be a church that handles that in a way that pleases you. Work in our hearts this evening, Lord. Help us to love you and show you that in the way we live. In Jesus' name.